Gentlemen, what follows is one of those rare episodes we do around here once in a while where we explore some super deep or maybe even crazy ideas. Before we get to it, though, here's a curious development. Recently, guys who have worked with me in coaching programs with great results have been coming back, this time with the greatest woman they've ever met in their life. They're coming as a couple to Emily and I. Not for counseling to fix a wounded relationship or something, but rather to give themselves every advantage to beat the odds, go the long haul as a couple, maximize their life together, and yes, be the couple other couples envy. Call it insurance against family law court. As such, it's a lot happier an experience and certainly far more affordable. Did I get your attention? If this sounds like a hell yeah in your life, go to mountaintoppodcast.com and click the red button in the upper right-hand corner. Sure, you've heard me talk about that at the end of every episode, but you can definitely use your free call to discuss what I just told you about. The women in these guys' lives are already reporting that they love the security they get from knowing their man cares enough to prioritize their future happiness together. And we all know how good life can be when she feels safe. Mountaintoppodcast.com is the place to go to get on my calendar and discuss all of this. Hey, in the next few weeks, I'm going to have some of your favorite returning guests on to specifically discuss some, well, unique topics related to women and sex. But this time, enjoy this fun episode that every man can relate to. Your ego versus eternity. Here we go. Live from the mist-enshrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters, you're listening to the world-famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. How's it going, gentlemen? Welcome again to yet another episode of the world-famous Mountaintop Podcast. My name is, as always, Scott McKay. At Scott McKay on Clubhouse, at Scott McKay on Twitter, real Scott McKay on Instagram. If you go to YouTube, you can find all the videos under my name, S-C-O-T with one T, M-C-K-A-Y. The website is mountaintoppodcast.com, the Facebook group for like-minded men of character who want to get better with women and be better men in general and have a lot of fun doing it all the while, is the Mountaintop Summit on Facebook. Now listen, guys, every once in a while, we do a show that's kind of off the beaten track. And what I mean by that is we talk about something kind of paranormal, something that kind of challenges our sensibilities in the here and now. Uh, For example, we've talked about lucid dreaming and twin flames in the past. This is going to be another one of those shows today. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And I have to tell you, as soon as I found out about this guy's work, who I'm having on today, I decided we needed to find a way to address a topic that will allow him to come onto this show and tell you all about what he's worked on for so many years. His name is Stephen Hawley Martin. He is the editor and publisher of Oakley Press, but above and beyond that, he's an extremely prolific author of such books with titles like, all right, you ready for this? Your Cosmic Mind Power, How Science Reveals God, Afterlife, The Whole Truth, and consciousness, the hard problem solved. So this guy basically goes where no man has gone before, kind of like Gene Roddenberry and Captain Kirk, right? (laughs) But with a whole lot of confidence, 
talking about things scientifically that most people really leave to faith or, well, flat out hope. So we're going to have a whole lot of fun today. So with nothing further to say about that, other than to introduce this guy, Stephen Hawley Martin from Richmond, Virginia. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you, Scott. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to our chat. Now, I have to tell you, I always tell guys I'm glad they're here too and that I'm looking forward to this chat, but I can't wait for this one. I mean, I'm here on the edge of my seat, literally, talking into my microphone, just with bated breath, ready to hear what you have to say about this. Because like most other people, whether they admit it or not, you know, Stephen, I think a lot about this. Sometimes I think too much about it. I start letting my brain spin into what eternity really means and what eternal life would really look like. And I flat out freak myself out. And I've had these deep, you know, hippie-like conversations with women in the past. And it's allowed us to get really intimate in our thoughts together and stuff like that. But in many ways, it's not fun to get this deep into this stuff. It's scary. I have to ask you, first of all, what made you want to focus on this kind of thinking? Was there a certain seminal moment or a line in the sand that really caused you to say to yourself, hey, you know what, this is going to be part of my life's purpose? Or what went on there? Well, that's a good question. Excellent question. And there was a a seminal moment. Happened a long, long time ago. I was about 25 years old. I was not married yet. I was living in a um, apartment in Baltimore with two other bachelors and uh, working at an ad agency downtown. And I had a terrible case of the flu. It was a Saturday night. And, you know, bachelors, uh, when they're 25, don't want to be home on a Saturday night. But I was home in bed, sick, feeling awful. And I heard some people come in downstairs. It was a two, uh, two-floor two apartment. Heard some people come in downstairs, and more people came in. And pretty soon, I heard a party going on down there. So... Uh, I decided I'd, you know, I'd get up and try to see if I couldn't feel a little bit better. And I went downstairs, put on some clothes, went downstairs and uh, had a few drinks, um, maybe a smoked a little bit. You know, it was back a long time ago when people did that. And pretty soon I felt pretty terrible. And I, I kind of knee walked back up to my bedroom. I flopped down in the bed. The bed started spinning. And before I knew it, I was out of my body up near the ceiling, examining the little cracks in the ceiling where there was a little bit of dirt, decided that needed a new paint job up there. And I looked down, saw my body on the bed, which looked like roadkill at that moment. And uh, I had an epiphany. I realized for the first time that I was not my body. I was my consciousness, which was outside of my body at that moment. And I'd been brought up as a, by a family that's, I call them scientific materialists who believe that nothing exists except matter, you know, material substance. So it was a real epiphany. And from that day on, I, I've been trying to figure out what reality really is all about. And uh, I've done, an, I've joined the Rosicrucian Society. I learned all about metaphysics. I've studied everything you can imagine. I've now written about three dozen books, not all of them on that subject. I've written some novels too, but and some business books, but uh, I've really investigated it, Scott, and uh, be happy to tell you what I know. Well, I'll tell you what, you've written so many books that we can't begin to even scratch the surface today. So I know you're going to bring the noise. You have mm-hmm. nothing to hold back because I mean, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes worth isn't even going to begin to touch it. So based on what you just said, I have to resonate with that in a way where 
I too have realized a long time ago that consciousness, or you know, you can call it the human life experience, if you want to put a more baseline description to it, can get really weird. I mean, they say perhaps apocryphally that you know we only use twenty or thirty percent of our brain power when we're awake and People will say, oh, that's debunked, or there's no way to prove that. Then you have your first lucid dream, where you realize you're sleeping, you realize you're dreaming, and your brain is not only manufacturing how you receive reality, it's manufacturing the entire reality externally as well. And you're like, wow, because that can get just as real as being awake. And you wake up scratching your head going, everything has just been challenged. People have premonitions. People experience unexplained phenomena. Uh, you know, as you just kind of alluded to, there's this perhaps narcotically induced tripping that goes on. I mean, you were kind of cryptic about exactly what went on there, but you know, that came to mind nonetheless, that people drop acid and end up in what they used to call an altered state, right? Uh, angel visits, people feel like they've been talked to by God or, you know, they die and go to hell or heaven or walk through a tunnel of light and, and are therefore excited to share this experience back in the land of the living once they come back or wake up or whatever the heck you call that. And what I love about your experience and your work is that you're not really a one-trick pony. You delve into a whole bunch of different areas. You have a scientific model that you claim proves afterlife, and then you tie that with truth and consciousness, and kind of the largesse, if you will, of the entire universe. And what I think is really going to be meaningful to the kind of man in particular who is listening to this show is you have come to an interesting conclusion, and that is if we deny our ego, we will, kind of like with a big cosmic snowplow, get rid of something, move it out of the way that really acts kind of as a veil to us recognizing what true consciousness is all about, what eternity actually looks like. It's kind of like we're fooling ourselves with ourselves. Am I on to something there? Is that kind of on the right track? Yeah, I would say you're on the right track, Scott. Uh, you know, the conclusion I've come to after studying this for almost 50 years is that consciousness is the ground of being of reality. I've talked to quantum physicists who agree with me on this, who have actually put forth theories that uh, consciousness and the unified field are really pretty much the same thing, and that uh, everything comes out of it. You mentioned lucid dreams. When you're dreaming uh, a lucid dream, you're creating the whole, a whole reality, other characters in the dream, other things happening in the dream, but it's coming from your point of view. So the reality is really the dream of the cosmic mind, if you would, uh, when you talked about that and how I have a book out called Your Cosmic Mind, and, and the book talks about how to get in touch with your cosmic mind. And you're absolutely right. The ego is what is standing in the way between you and getting in touch with your cosmic mind. And once you do... It really can open up a whole new world for you. I mean, you can realize your dreams and your ambitions and so on and so forth a whole lot easier when you don't have your ego in the way and you're getting in touch with that. Now, what do I mean by the cosmic mind? How do you recognize it? Well, there's a part of you that's able to step outside of yourself and kind of observe what's going on and how you're behaving and how you're reacting to situations. That's 
the mind I'm talking about getting in touch with. And once you can really kind of form a, uh, a relationship or a, or a partnership with that mind, it can take you a long, long way. So you need to maybe read that book, Your Conscious Mind Power, because it explains not only what your cosmic mind is, but how to get in touch with it. And that's to get rid of that ego that's standing in your way. So there you go, Scott. Well, give us a little bit of a teaser. Give us the practical nature of exactly what you're talking about here. Because a lot of guys, I'm sure, listening to this going, okay, great. That sounds like Sunday school class all over again, only in different words. It sounds like faith. What do I actually do? Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not a, a religious person. I, I guess I've become somewhat of a spiritual person, I suppose, from all the study I've done. But I grew up in a family that was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a scientific materialist. So, But I have recognized that you know, people who, for example, are Christians, Jesus is an individual who identified with what he called the Father and what I call the cosmic mind, which is that uh, he had magnificent intuition. He knew what was going on. He was able to perform miracles and so forth. I'm not saying that if you get in, t in touch with your cosmic mind, you're going to be able to perform miracles, but you're going to be able to your intuition is going to be heightened. You're going to see what's going on when when uh, somebody is uh, trying to manipulate you, or you can keep yourself from getting in trouble by having your ego react in a way that's going to, uh, going to get people upset with you. It really puts you in control of yourself. And because you are actually in touch with your true self. The cosmic mind is your true self. There's really only one life. And we feel like we're separate because we have that ego that's been built up since birth and are the memories and the things we've learned in school and the, the opinions that we have and the points of view that we have. All those things are part of your ego that really separates you from that cosmic mind. If you can put that aside, your life can be a whole lot better. It'll give you peace. It'll give you a direction that goes toward your bliss. As different philosophers have said, follow your bliss, and that'll get you where you want to go. So there you go, Scott. Does that help? Yeah, definitely. I think at this point, it would be helpful to have you define ego from your perspective so we know exactly what you're talking about here. And then perhaps, Stephen, give us some practical examples of how we can help it get out of the way. Because what I'm thinking here is, man, if that's all we know, then how do we really recognize anything different or even know what we're aiming towards if we haven't seen it or felt it or experienced it yet? You know what I mean? Okay, well, let me try to do that. When your mom brought you home from the hospital and you were a tiny baby, you looked up from the crib and you you had awareness, but you were trying to kind of figure out where you were and so forth. That was your cosmic mind looking up, that universal intelligence that's behind everything. As you grew up in your family and your culture and your school, you learned certain things and you learned uh, what people thought was right and what people thought was wrong and how to behave in certain situations. And you formed opinions and all those things that and the beliefs that you that came about because of how your what your parents told you you were and what your siblings said about you and 
and so forth. Perhaps they, uh, perhaps you had a wonderful childhood and they, you grew up with a strong ego and confident, or perhaps you grew up thinking you were a victim of some kind and that you were not, um, you were not able to do certain things because people told you you couldn't. Those kinds of beliefs have gone into what I call your unconscious mind. That's different than your subconscious mind. Your unconscious mind is where all the beliefs and attitudes that you have developed over your lifetime are stored. And you don't even know they're there. But when you come in contact with somebody that makes you angry, that triggers you, there's a belief somewhere hidden in your subconscious mind that's causing that. Now, that when you're triggered, you need to stop and think why you were triggered. You know, as Shakespeare said, I think it was one of his characters like Hamlet said, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And that's true. That You know, what one person thinks is bad, somebody else is going to think is good. So you need to figure out why you're triggered and go to that belief that causes that, that opinion that you have that causes that. And what you need to do to get the ego out of the way is figure out why that belief came about. Perhaps something happened when you were a child that caused that, or perhaps somebody told you over and over again uh, that, you know, nobody in our family ever uh, is going to get rich. And so that's a belief that you have that's hidden. You need to find those beliefs. And there's a couple of ways to go about it, which we can talk about if you'd like. You know, just last week we had a guy on who talked about handling criticism. And a key to that is realizing that a lot of times when people just come at you with random hate, they're really projecting something from their own consciousness, from their own ego onto you that they're uncomfortable with or they're fixated on. And we really do well to face those things with critical thinking. (laughs) I thought that was really good advice. And it seems like you're echoing that now. But kind of at the baseline of what you just said, and more importantly, it seems like you're making the case for... Uh, kind of this phenomenon where at birth, we have not yet been affected by what I'm going to term psychological or temporal clutter that kind of gets in the way of us really seeing our true place in the universe, our part of being something larger, if you will. In other words, when a child is born, they're a blank slate. They're an open book. I remember my oldest daughter was born with her eyes open. And I mean, I fell in love with her immediately. I was smitten. My first kid, I was scared to be a father. That little girl was born with her eyes open and her face was just like, oh my God, WTF. You know, It's like, okay, life has just happened. And then over the years, I can really sense you're onto something here, Stephen. And I mean, you're probably going to be like, well, duh, you know, I'm the expert in this stuff. But <laughs> You know, we get programmed. Life happens and we get jaded or we get hurt or we become uber confident in a certain area that maybe we have no sense being super confident in. And the reason why this is sort of eye-opening to me, literally and figuratively, if you will, is because indeed, having raised three children from cradle to where they are now. And then, of course, meeting Emily's son when he was 10 and watch him grow up to be a fine young man. It is amazing how, as the Christian faith would put it, the faith of a little child really is special. I mean, these guys know I've taken my kids 
on wonderful grand adventures to other cultures where they meet people who don't look like them, talk like them, eat like them, or play the same sports that they do. And my kids have therefore grown up with a much more open mind towards differences. They haven't grown up sheltered in American suburbia thinking everybody else is quote unquote weird. And that is going to shape their psyche forever. Indeed, you take little kids and you put them in preschool and they don't know how much this other kid's daddy makes. They don't notice the color of this other kid's skin. They're much more innocent in their acceptance of the universe around them. And then we get older and it seems like by the time you hit middle age, you've been divorced, you've been kicked around the block a couple times, you've been hurt, you've experienced a whole lot of pain, and you run the risk of being a really bitter, jaded mofo after a while. And it seems to me, and you know, I want you to talk about this, indeed you said you were going to, and I'm looking forward to it, that there's this process here where we got to clear out all of this clutter, or at least make a good run at it so that we can clearly see the more eternal nature of how we were born, right? Yeah, we are, we're each a, came from, evolved from that universal mind, that cosmic mind I talked about. And yet we think we're totally separate because of this ego that's been built up from birth. And that is the ego, right? To be clear, is all of the flotsam and jetsam that we have layered on top of our baseline being as humans. Right. It's the culture you were born into that's, you know, rubbed off on you. It's what your parents told you was true or not true. It's what your teachers in school said or didn't say. The way you can prosper is to realize that all that stuff may or may not be true. And a lot of it is not true. You know, we talked about someone who thinks they're, they could never get rich because nobody in their family ever did. Or maybe they are, grew up believing they were a victim because of the color of their skin. Or maybe they thought they were uh, unlovable because their parents treated them that way. And so they haven't been able to form relationships. But those things can be overcome if you can get at uh, what's located in your unconscious mind, the beliefs and the opinions and so forth that were that came about because of your upbringing and the things you experienced. And the way there are two different ways that I know of to get in touch with that. One is uh, what's called a feminine approach, which is more thinking back, maybe meditating. Perhaps you could even uh, do it through hypnotism, where you go back to whatever event or events brought about a particular belief and experience that, you know, bring it out into the open, remember it, and actually try to feel the way you felt when you when that first entered your subconscious, your unconscious mind, and get rid of it that way. Experience it, forgive whoever caused it, and let it go. That's one way. The other way is more of an intellectual, it's called the masculine approach, more of an intellectual or a wisdom approach, which is when you are triggered, when you feel, as you said, I think sometimes people tick you off. Why do they tick you off? It's because you've got something in you that you don't really like that's causing you to react to whatever it is that person is showing you. So when you're triggered, you need to think, why am I triggered? Rather than reacting and, you know, telling the guy off or whatever, there's a moment between the time it happened and when you would normally react, when you can stop yourself 
and think, why am I reacting this way? And go to that more intellectually. Say, why am I reacting this way? And try to go to the truth about the situation, which is that you have something in you that you need to expose and get rid of. And these kind of things can make all the difference in the world. Is you know, Suppose you're, for example, the kind of person who seems to always attract to yourself people of the opposite sex who abuse you in some way. Well, it's probably because you have something in your subconscious mind that says you deserve to be abused. Why is that? It probably stems from something in your childhood where, you know, maybe it was your mother, your father, your sister, somebody led you to believe that you were unworthy in some way. So you've got to try to remember that and get rid of it. Okay. So now what you're talking about, Stephen, are some themes that we've covered quite a bit on this show. Mm -hmm. What I want to drill down on is the idea that if we somehow declutter ourselves, we will come to a realization of something much larger, much more universal, much more cosmic, uh, bigger than ourselves, perhaps even spiritual. What is it we can expect to realize once we've decluttered ourselves as such? I mean, what's the, what's the end game here? The end game is really quite simple, and that is to realize that you are a spiritual being who is eternal, and you are having a temporary physical experience, a temporary experience here in this physical dimension. One of the things we haven't talked about on this show yet is that reincarnation is a very real thing. The University of Virginia has been studying this for almost 60 years, and they have over 2,500 cases that they've studied of children who remember past lives, where they have investigated who the children said they thought they were and found that individual who matched up with who, what the child said. And so this life is really one of many that you've had already. And what life is really all about is experience and evolution. It's like we're coming into a school when we come into this dimension to learn and to expand. All of us have had situations that we go through that are very difficult when they happen, whether it's grief or whether it's a financial hardship or whether it's a illness or whatever. But when we come out on the other side of that, we, we realize that we went through a very rough time, but we usually also realize that we have grown and evolved because of it. We're a better person because of it. And that really is what life is all about. And so when you're able to get in touch with this part of you that is eternal, then you can live life from that viewpoint. And it makes life a whole lot easier and a whole lot better. And you can really accomplish much, much more. It'll bring you peace and it'll bring you opportunities to really have a fulfilling life. Now, you openly claim a scientific case for this afterlife, and I guess by extension, the idea of reincarnation. Is the study you just mentioned part of that scientific case, or would you have anything to add to that for our audience here? Well, there's the University of Virginia cites four different areas where they say it shows that consciousness is not created by the brain. The brain is a receiver of consciousness that integrates consciousness with your body. You are a, a spiritual being who comes into this 
reality through your mother's womb and, and as a baby, but it's like you're wearing a diving suit and you've got into it and gone down under the water. You know, I mean, this that's what this reality is all about. It's like we're in a diving suit under the water, except in this case, we're in our bodies, which is our diving suit, and we're in this three-dimensional reality with time. Well, you're also almost making it sound as if our physical bodies, and indeed our minds, our ego, are sort of like a radio receiving a transmission of our consciousness from beyond. Yeah, our uh, brain is a receiver like a radio or a cell phone that's receiving our consciousness from beyond the physical realm. Exactly. And you have science to support this. Yeah, let me let me tell you about that. There are four different areas that the University of Virginia has studied that they believe show that what, what I've just said is true. One is uh, near-death experiences. There are so many, thousands of near-death experiences, uh, practice something like, I don't know, 10 or 15% of the public say they've had one. And as everybody who knows anything about near-death experiences knows, people are able to, for example, if they flatline on an operating table, often they can uh, relate what the doctors and nurses were saying when that happened, what they were doing, uh, what procedures they were carrying out, what instruments they were using. They often you know, see the tunnel, go to the light, have the past life review, meet relatives that have gone before, that sort of thing, and come back. And they're able to talk about that, tell about that. And, you know, the doctors and nurses have to say, yeah, that's what we were saying, and that's what we were doing. So near-death experiences are one case. Another case is what we've already talked about, which is children's memories of past lives. There are over 2,500 such cases that the University of Virginia has studied since 1962, almost 60 years, well, 60 years this year. And it's obvious that if they can, rem if a child can remember uh, what they were doing and what their name was and what village they lived in or what city they lived in and who their, what their mother's name and their father's name and what occupation they had and all those kinds of things, which the University of Virginia has checked out, then there has to be a time between that life and the life the child is in now where there was no brain and those memories have carried over. So that's another point of evidence. Another one is what's called hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, where something like as much as 95% of the brain can be incapacitated because of this fluid on the brain. And yet the person will have normal and sometimes even above normal intelligence. And then the fourth area is uh, one where people who have had uh, dementia or Alzheimer's or have been in a uh, coma for a number of weeks, even months, right before they die, they will become lucid and talk with either their health providers or their family uh, and this happened with my grandmother right before she died, about 10 minutes before she came, she came to, she became lucid. She'd been out of it for uh, months, and yet she was able to say goodbye and, you know, speak lucidly and answer questions, and, and then she passed away. And so what the University of Virginia people think about that 
is that uh, it's like the brain is letting go of the consciousness. It's got a hold on it. And right before they die, as, as the person is expiring, the consciousness is is released and they're able to be lucid for a few minutes, sometimes up to an hour or so before they pass away. And and, and that, again, is uh, another point of evidence where the consciousness is not uh, held by the brain any longer. Isn't that fascinating? And you know what? I've heard of numerous instances like that. It's like, wow, I my grandfather just passed away and it was amazing. They had Alzheimer's for all this time. And at the end, they, they had a moment of clarity, as it were. Yeah. So yeah, that has happened. That's a very interesting take on that. And I have to tell you, going back to what you said a couple minutes ago, I've always had a very keen interest in the whole idea of star children and very young preschoolers being seers, able to see things in their environment, like say angels or things that are perhaps paranormal that we somehow lose visibility of. We become literally blind to as we grow up. And a lot of people have started making cases for imaginary friends not being so imaginary and things like that. And I just find all these postulations just fascinating. Well, I think that's true. I think the imaginary friends really are are real uh, often. And that uh, something about children – are they're much closer to obviously both in time and in mentally to where they came from and where they came from is another dimension in one of my books i quote some stanzas of a poem by uh, william wordsworth where he talks about how people come into this life trailing clouds of glory as they come you know when they're young children and then they lose it as they grow up and their egos form and so forth Amazing. Amazing. So I guess in closing, I have one more question for you. What do you say to people who are convinced the most logical expectation is, you know what, Stephen, when we die, that's it. I mean, after all, I've been under anesthesia before and I was as good as dead to the world then. And, you know, I still had brainwaves. So after I die, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, it's what makes the most sense. I mean, is that just our ego getting in the way? I think it's what we learned in school. Uh, the, the science that we have today that is, that is taught in schools is based on the 19th century idea that all that exists is matter. And if all that exists is matter, material substance, then consciousness, all of that brain activity could not have occurred until evolution produced a brain. But there is so much evidence that this material world is based on information. Just for example, the DNA molecule, which is essential for life, if you were to take those that uh, DNA molecule and stretch it out, you know, it would be six and a half feet long of what looks like computer code that tells the cell when and how to make proteins at the right time. Now, if consciousness and intelligence didn't exist until evolution produced a brain, how did that six and a half feet of computer code come about? <laughs> right. I think that's fascinating. And I have to tell you, it has occurred to me, and I'm sure if other people are equally honest with themselves, it's occurred to them as well, that we're extremely arrogant as mortal human beings to think we've got it all figured out. I mean, even to think we've got anything figured out. A lot of times, and this is how I put it, I think we've got God in a box. And I've had mind-blowing conversations with people who are, 
you know, thinking about this sort of thing and find it fun to do so that maybe there's a metal level God, maybe the God that we have some kind of recognition of being there who created the world around us and the stars and the cosmos as we understand it. Maybe there's a meta reality above that where this God has an even bigger God that it serves. And we just can't begin to touch the magnitude of what we've really been born into and indeed what we're a part of. But uh, what a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you stopping by and uh, helping us understand, you know, some different angles on all this that we've never really uh, explored before. And Stephen, what I want to do is I want to send guys to your books. And I use the plural form on purpose because what I'm going to do, gentlemen, is I'm just going to stock up my Amazon storefront with like five or six of the best of by Stephen Holly Martin. So you can just haul them all into your library. And I'm also going to send you to www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash afterlife. How about that? I think we've had a Stephen or two on this show before. So we're going to make it mountaintoppodcast.com front slash afterlife. And where that will take you is to Stephen Holly Martin's website where you can get you some. It's like a candy store. You can find out all about what Stephen Holly Martin's been thinking about, what he's writing about, and grab even more books if you want to. Once again, Stephen Holly Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. And guys, listen, if you haven't headed over to mountaintoppodcast.com in a while, I want you to go there, sign up for the free newsletter, fluff free advice on the daily, won't cost you a dime on how to get better women in your life and be a better man. You can also download the free ebook called Sticking Point Solved. Listen, guys, again, that book is free. It's a full length book and it's full of miniature chapters that address just about any sticking point you can think of in terms of getting better with women. It's a great book. It's all yours, and it's free, free, free. Go to mountaintoppodcast.com and check it out. And, guys, some of you still in the year 2022 have not yet gotten on my calendar and talked to me free for 25 minutes. I love talking to you guys. I look forward to having the chance to meet you personally and talk to you and see what's on your mind. And if there's a plan of action we can put in place that gets you from where you are right now to where you want to be, let's make that happen, too. Get on my calendar at mountaintoppodcast.com. And as always, you can use the coupon code MOUNTAIN10 to get an additional 10% off when you visit our good friends at either heroesoap.com or Origin in Maine. Both of those fine companies and the wonderful goods that they proffer are available to you also from links at mountaintoppodcast.com. And... Until I talk to you again real soon, this is Scott McKay from X and Y Communications in San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there. The Mountaintop Podcast is produced by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the free X and Y Communications newsletter for men. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for The Mountaintop Podcast.